Well, my name is Terry McCall. I'm a local guy, live in Strasburg, and uh, very much delighted to be here this morning. So there was a woman in the New Testament uh, who had lived a rather checkered life. Um, things had not gone well for her. She had many ups and downs, uh, in and out of a lot of different relationships, not at all the life that she had hoped for. And so she wondered, you know, is this uh, the result of maybe parents, uh, some history? And so what she did was, she did what any one of us would do. She went to uh, Ancestry.com. Let me back up here. Oh, yeah, well, let me just, I, I forgot to tell you, she was from Samaria. That's what those slides were about. So she goes to Ancestry.com. Some of you are saying, hey, wait a minute, um, wasn't the New Testament written before uh, Al Gore invented the World Wide Web? And uh, the fact of the matter, it was written beforehand. So the point is, uh, there's just a little creative liberty being taken here to tell a story. But anyhow, when she went uh, to uh, Ancestry.com, she started to uncover a lot of different things. First of all, she found out that she was uh, part Babylonian, part Persian, part Egyptian, and part Jew. But as she began to dig deeper and deeper, a fuller story uh, emerged about being Samaritan. So there was, uh, way back, hundreds of years ago, an empire called the Assyrian Empire, which was a very, very big empire that just kept growing and growing and growing. And way back, uh, around the 700s, 700 BC, um, the Jews who were uh, in the land, who had actually come into the land under Joshua hundreds and hundreds of years before that, and had uh, conquered the land and inhabited the land, and they had their time of judges, and then they had their united kingdom under Saul and David and Solomon. Um, but then they divided, and you had ten tribes to the north, uh, known as Israel, kind of in opposition with the two tribes to the south called Judah. And so God came uh, through the prophet saying, hey, look, I, I really want you, my chosen people, to act like a covenant people, to be uh, living out your life like you know me. And yet they were not. So God sent prophet after prophet after prophet saying, if you don't get your act together, uh, things are not going to go well. Well, in 722 B.C., Things did not go so well, and the Jews were sent into at least the ten northern tribes into Assyrian captivity. Well, uh, Shalmaneser was the king of the Assyrian uh, Empire, and one of his practices was, as he was expanding his empire, uh, he would take, when he would conquer a land, he would take people from his own country and say, hey, look, I, I want you to go and resettle that country that I just emptied and brought all of those people here. So I need some colonists to go to uh, where the Jews were and live there. Well, the colonists who went, uh, things did not go so well for them. If you know much about that history, actually lions came on the scene and killed a lot of them. And so they they sent word back to Shalmaneser and said, and you, you can read all about this in 2 Kings uh, 17, 
But uh, they said, hey, look, you know, we're really having some problems here. Shalmaneser said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a priest among the Jews who are in captivity. We're going to send him back to these columnists and teach them the ways of this God of Palestine. And so the uh, priest went over to where they were. He began to teach them the ways of Judaism. And they pretty much adopted primarily the first five books of the Old Testament and pretty much kept it to that. And those people became eventually these Samaritans. Matter of fact, in uh, 586 BC, the two southern uh, tribes also had to go off into captivity. They were there 70 years. When they came back, uh, they erected uh, an altar and then they began to build a wall around Jerusalem. And these colonists, these people who had kind of converted to uh, Judaism, uh, came down to them at that time and said, hey, we want to help build the wall. We're, we're, we're like you. We're Jewish in nature now that we've learned from this priest. And the Jews would have no part of it, uh, the, the ones that had come back from uh, captivity. So from that time on, even up until the New Testament, there was always this tension uh, between the Jews uh, and the Samaritans. So anyhow, this, this gal who is finding all of this out thinks, well, maybe, maybe this helps to explain who I am. Uh, my people have been marginalized, and this is just uh, who I am. Uh, maybe that's been the problem. At any rate, uh, it, it was like, okay, I've done enough surfing on the web here. Uh, we need some water. So she goes off uh, to the local well. And as she's on her way to the well to get water, she's actually thinking to herself, you know, maybe, maybe the problem is simply this. I'm only human after all. I'm only human after all. Um, don't put the blame on me for all of the mess that's in my life. She actually thought that might be an interesting song. I don't know if you know that song. Kind of a popular song sung by a guy named... Uh, rag and bone man from uh, the UK, but it really kind of captures how many people look at being human, that, hey, I'm only human, as if to be human is a liability. At any rate, she's on her way to the well. She has no idea that her story is about to become part of a bigger story. And so the bigger story is actually the text for today, which is John chapter 4, verses 1 through 19. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well as it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How is it that you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well and drank from, him, it, and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water so I won't have to uh, keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. We put the woman's life in context, kind of a creative context, but representing pretty much who the Samaritans were and possibly who she was. And it's very helpful to put Jesus' life in context. We see him leaving Judea, heading to Galilee, stopping in Samaria at a place called Sychar at the well of Jacob. But the bigger, the bigger context is actually this. And John is very helpful in, in painting it. It says uh, in chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And he goes on and says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so you look at the life of Christ prior to this moment, and already he's, he has been out about doing what is his ultimate mission, which was to come and to renew all things. He had said that in the Gospels, that when I renew all things, that he had come to restore things. Things on this planet were broken. Things amongst humanity were a mess. And so here he was, um, already on his way ultimately to a redeeming and atoning death that would fix all things, that would satisfy the Father, which would overcome sin and death. But even prior to the cross, he is giving glimpse of what he's all about. As a matter of fact, the very first uh, miracle that Jesus performed, which was to turn the water into wine, if you think about it, it was really his way of saying at the very outset, this is what I'm all about. This is what I do. I convert things. I am about conversion. I am about transformation and change. And so as he's moving through uh, Judea or Samaria or Galilee, what you're seeing is glimpses of this renewal that he came to do. You're seeing the, the sick who are being healed. You're seeing the blind 
who are given sight. You are seeing the lame who all of a sudden are walking. You're seeing the, the dead being raised to life. And so uh, this, is, this is what he does. This is the context. Uh, but on this particular day, as he's sitting at the well, um, he's going to reveal something, but it's just simply going to be truth, a great truth. And so this woman comes and uh, the very thing that he says to her is simply this, give me a drink. And it really is uh, give me to drink in the Greek. It looks like some of the translations will even say, please give me a drink. Will you give me a drink? When you look at it, it's really give me to drink. My mother had been there. She would have said, yeah, I know you're Jesus, but what's the magic word? You got to say please when you're asking for anything. But Jesus simply said, Give me to drink. She, of course, kind of responds playing the race card. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Because we don't interact. Jesus kind of turns the thing around and he uh, kind of plays the, I'll call it, uh, parallel uh, card. Because he creates this wonderful uh, parallel He's saying, look, you know, I'm asking you for a drink because I know the gift that is here. I know that here is a well that Jacob gave and that well was meant to be for his family and for the community and for all generations to come. I know who you are. I know what you are capable of. Therefore, I ask you for a drink. Now, none of that is said, but it's all implied. Because he says, if you knew the gift of God, the gift that is here in me, and that is being offered to all, and if you knew who I am, like I know who you are, and what I'm capable of doing, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So you see the, the parallel. And the parallel really kind of sets forth two things that I just want to look at briefly today, which is number one on the left or on the on your left side, um, what it is to be human, because Jesus in essence was saying, I know who you are. You know, I created all things. I created you, and I know how I created you. I created you in the image of God. So when we think about being human, it's absolutely essential that we understand what it is to be made in the image of God. So what is that? Well, you know, you look at it from, first of all, the nature of God. God is intellectual, volitional, spiritual, emotional, relational. You see that, that God is wisdom, that God knows all things, that God has a will, he has his decrees. God is spirit. God is a God of joy, great joy. As a matter of fact, he possesses more joy than anybody else in the universe. And yet he can be a God of wrath. And he is relational. He interacts and wants to interact with others. And so this woman, created in the image of God, all of these things became true of her. 
And, and you miss something big if you don't put yourself somehow in that picture and say, this is who I am. This is what it means to be human, what it means to be made in the image of God. But there are also the attributes of God, and there are many of them. You, you might go from 20 to 30 different attributes of God. But just looking at a few of them, God is loving. Uh, God is compassionate and kind, merciful, gracious, forgiving. And you say those are awesome attributes, things that we attribute to God. And yet they're what we call the communicable attributes of God. In other words, he communicates them to us. He shares them with us. There are certain attributes he doesn't share. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He doesn't share that. I'll never be all-powerful. I'll never be all-knowing. I'll never be everywhere present. Those are the non-communicable attributes of God. But these attributes and many others, he communicates to us. And so, put your face on that body and say, this is what it means for me as an individual to be human. I can be loving. True? Can you be compassionate? Can you be kind? Can you be merciful, gracious, forgiving? And so Jesus is saying, look, I stand here at the well. I have nothing to draw with, but I know who you are. And it kind of begs the question, if we have been made in the image of God, is there an obligation for all of us that when we see somebody in need who cannot help themselves, that we are obliged to help them? See, a lot of times we treat that like an option. I think I'll do that for that poor chap. But the reality is, God sees it as an obligation. That's how you were created. That's what you were meant to do. We live our lives, unfortunately, rather selfishly. And we, we make it all about us. And every once in a while, we'll throw out some good gestures here and there. But God's expectation is like, this is how you live your life. This is how you express who you are. Here's a couple other questions to think about. Do you see your family members in that light? When your neighbor gathers up her morning paper, do you see her as made in the image of God? How about the annoying coworker? Or how about the individual in the ISIS propaganda video who has it in his heart to strap a bomb to his chest and detonated in the midst of a wedding celebration. That happens. But do you see that individual is made in the image of God? And, and our human response is, no, I, I don't want to see him or her in, in the image of God. But here's an important truth. When humans do horrible things, we must understand this is not a result of their humanity, but a result of our heeding the deceitful voices that sound out in this fallen world and that creep into our lives and reshape us so that we fail to reflect the image of God. Because, see, that's really what's going on amongst humanity, is there are competing voices there are the lesser voices. There are the just bad, flat-out bad voices. 
deceitful voices, even demonic voices. And that's all around us. And every day, they're kind of hitting us. And some of them are subtle, and some of them don't seem like a big deal. But at the end of the day, uh, they shape us to the extent that we give ear to them. And that's really the point of, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and that Word coming amongst us. Because what this world absolutely needs is truth in a world that has been deceived. If you back this way up to the garden, you know how it happened. Uh, You had humanity. You had Adam and Eve representing humanity and God saying, look how I'm creating you in my very image. And the goal, the intent is that you walk with me and that you hear my voice and my voice shape who you are. And yet, for whatever reason, God allowed a competing voice to come in to the human experience to say something, and it then became an issue of would Adam and Eve and humanity trust God and all that he was trying to shape the experience to be, or would we listen to another and the promises that were being set forth there? Well, you know exactly how it unfolded. And ever since then, these Lesser voices, these deceitful voices are just bouncing around our neighborhood, our homes, uh, the planet. And, and, and we are not at all what we were intended to be. And so Jesus came to restore all of that. So even within this woman, there was, because of these false voices, there was this welling up. There was words that were less than true. Go get your husband. I have no husband. Well, truth be told, I've had five, but the one I have right now isn't my husband. She could have said that. That would have been true. But she said, I have no husband. Jesus kind of said, you're not an honest person completely. And so these these things well up within us passions that are less than pure, passions that have been shaped by a world fallen, passions that say this is what it is to be romantic or intimate or significant or whatever, and yet they're passions that are less than what God intended passion to be. And acts that are less than holy, welling up within us just shaping not only our lives, but everybody else's lives. And the world suffers because lesser voices prevail. And so Jesus comes and says to this woman, look, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask, and I would give you living water. And it's interesting that he uses water because, you know, we, my, our family spent seven years in, in Kenya, Africa, And you learn in an environment like that how absolutely essential water is. Without water, people perish. Everything perishes. It's it's so abundant here, we may know that, but it isn't obvious before us. But Jesus is saying, look, you know, this well water, yeah, it'll provide life. But I want to equate the gift of God with living water. 
I want you to understand that just as that well water can sustain you, living water can sustain you, but not only that, it can animate you. And that all of these, all of these attributes that are who it is to be human, that are kind of laying dormant because you've listened to too many lesser voices, all of those attributes can become animated. And all of a sudden, flowing and welling up within you is love and compassion, but it's, it's, it's a love and compassion shaped by me. And so when it talks about living water, the gift of God, it really is Jesus. It really is the Spirit of God indwelling us. It is really His life becoming our life and beginning to shape us and make us into the people we were always meant to be. So living water is Logos at work. It is the Spirit indwelling and regenerating our lives so that we become who we were intended to be and our lives become eternal in nature. You know, you read that and the tendency is to say, okay, it's welling up to eternal life that somehow uh, this gift of God within me ultimately uh, takes me to some reward, eternal life. But that really isn't the idea here. The idea is all of a sudden your life becomes eternal in nature. That as, as God begins to shape you, and his words become your words, and the mind of Christ becomes your mind, and the actions that God would work out in your life become the actions that you do. Those are all eternal things. And so in a, in a fallen world, a world where everything kind of just heads toward death, all of a sudden now, we have the potential to bring life a quality of life that this world absolutely needs. Jacob was the guy who dug the well. In her mind, he was a great guy. And she asked Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? And I want, as we're winding down, just kind of take that up and, and kind of answer that. Because Jesus said, in essence, um, well, Jacob gave you water. I offer living water. It, it, it was an awesome answer. But we could say, and all of this is true, that greater than Jacob? You mean the Jacob that I created? So, Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? Yeah, I actually breathed life into him. And actually, the sun in the sky... And all of the energy that he has, I kind of spoke that. I just spoke that. And that enormous sun, that which, which just actually zapped me on my journey from uh, Judea to here, that's another story. But that sun I created, and a hundred billion others like it. And, and I populated the universe with these. Greater than Jacob? Yeah, I am greater than Jacob. Whoops. Oh. Sorry about that. But here's, here's the thing that um, I really want us to, just as we're kind of closing here, 
if, if we believe that the Word of God is eternal, and not just that it um, stands forever, but that it speaks forever, then we have to believe that the Word of God speaks us into this story. So as we're standing here and we're looking at this well scene, do you see yourself standing there? Do you see yourself a victim sometimes of the lesser voices who desperately needs to hear, I would offer you the living water, the very gift of God. It, it speaks Jesus into our lives. It speaks Jesus into this congregation today. Greater than Jacob? Yeah, I, I knew that woman. I knew all about her. But Jesus could say, I know all of you. I know everything about you. I know your aspirations. I know your shortcomings. I know the lesser voices that even these days are kind of taking you on a lesser life journey. And yet I know that because you have been created in the image of God, I know the potential that exists within you. I know that if you would allow my life to indwell you, to animate you, that all of a sudden your life becomes eternal in nature. And Jesus is offering that this morning. So, I hope you're understanding the, the value of what it is to be human. And never to think, well, you know, there's a lot of problems in my family, a lot of problems in my community, a lot of problems in the world. I'm only human. Um, after all, what can I do? And yet, you know, if you take this teaching seriously and you say that this, this living water which can animate my life can take my humanness and make it all that it was ever meant to be, we can look at the problems around us and in the world and we can as humans say, I can do this. I've been made in the very image of God and I'm animated by the very Spirit of God and I'm on the same page as the, the redeemer of this world. So, I'll offer up this prayer and pray that God takes these truths to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you know us fully, and knowing us fully, oh, how you love us, oh, how you love us. Thank you for um, the gift of life, the gift of eternal life, the gift of living water that animates us, can make us all that we were ever meant to be. Give us hearts to sense your presence and um, ears to hear your voice and a will that would align itself with your good and perfect will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.